When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. And we are back. Today we are going to discuss treatment planning. I, I want to let you guys know, you know, in some of the things that we cover in this mini-series, I think we may go a little bit closer or further away from the Lifestyle Practice Academy. And in this section, I think Justin has so much content on treatment planning in the Academy that today we're going to give you guys all we can, but it's not everything that there is. And I just kind of want to say that up front because in a lot of other sections, you know, I've tried my best to give you guys all we can. But in this one, I think there's just so much to cover that we're going to do our best to get it all in this podcast, but there is a lot more information that he covers with his clients and everything. So before I keep going, Jay Shot, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> all right. So Justin, let's just get started. So we talk about in the course about how increased production can take care of a lot of issues. Um, can you just talk about before we talk about increasing production, talk about what you mean by that statement? Yeah, actually, I, I first heard that from um, my one of my dental reps a long time ago. And as things were increasing in my practice, I mean, you know, she'd come in, she'd check, and, you know, in the beginning, I'd be like, oh, we're, we're doing okay. I'm kind of getting the hang of things, think we're going to make pay our bills this month. And then over time, you know, she, she started to see the trend, and it would be more like numbers are going up, we're doing really well, we're kicking butt, blah, blah, blah. And she made the comment, um, it's funny how increased production can take care of a lot of issues inside your office. You know, I think it doesn't take care of everything, but I guarantee you, if you think you have problems now and you've got good production, wait till that production drops or is low in the first place. And then you will really, you'll feel the difference. But bottom line is productivity has to be an intentional goal. It's not going to happen on its own. And when you have increased production, it buys you choices. It buys you freedom. You have more more likely to be able to choose when you work, what patients you see, what procedures you want to do, and what you can do when you're not in the office, which is my favorite um, benefit from that. Yeah, that's kind of the whole goal. I mean, absolutely. And so when you talk about your course and working with your clients, you talk about mindset a lot. And so how do you think mindset applies to this particular topic about treatment planning and increasing productivity? I've always known success begins in the mind. You know, I can be the best practitioner in the world, but if my mindset isn't focused on the right things, it's not going to do a darn thing to make me more successful. Um, and you've got to keep your mind right. You know, I'd say in the course, we talk about a few things, but just to name a few, I, I think listening to podcasts, books, I'll even listen to like motivational YouTube clips on the way to work to get myself ready. Cause like a lot of you or a lot of you either now or will notice in the future, like there are just some days you're driving to work and like, I don't really feel like working today, but I know, um, while I'm there, I've got to give it all I can, or I'm going to have to work a lot more bottom line. So the more you're mentally prepared to show up at your office and go to war, the more productive you're going to be. You have to train and prepare to increase growth and 
not limit yourself in your thinking of what's possible. And I had personally, you know, I had big goals going in and I had plenty of people tell me many years ago that my ideal practice um, or the practice that I wanted of working 120 days a year and taking home what I do wasn't possible. You know, everyone, not everyone, but most people would just give me a laundry list of why I could, why I couldn't do it, why it couldn't happen. Um, but it, in the end, you know, I wasn't willing to, I wasn't going to let their limited view stop me from doing what I knew I could do. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew it was possible because I knew other dentists, although maybe not a lot, there were some that had done it before. And if it's been done before, it can probably be done again. So people who don't go after big things or their own dreams are never going to encourage you to go after yours. Building a successful practice is not a fix it and forget it kind of thing. You know, either you're getting better or you're going backwards in my mind. And by going backwards, even if you're stagnant, maybe other people's game is getting better around you. So I always think you got to be pushing it and that happens intentionally. And as long as I'm practicing, I want to push my limits and I push my clients to do the same thing. You said a lot of really awesome stuff there, uh, especially I really like, you know, people who don't go after big things uh, right. will never encourage you to go after yours. And I, I really like that. And a uh, quick side note, I also watch those motivational YouTube videos. Um, nice. Yeah, th- I love those things. Who's and your it, favorite speaker on them? Um, you know, there's just one in particular that really sticks out to me about uh, Steph Curry. Um, right. It talks about success is not an accident. And right. I always take that mentality with me. You know, I always think, you know, what can I do now to be more successful later? And that concept that success is not an accident really stuck with me. Yep. You know, and when it comes to podcasts, I think it's pretty obvious what to listen to, you know, right. You're on it right now. It's a no brainer. But in terms of books, you know, are there any books that you've read lately that you'd recommend for our audience? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big reader. I read a lot, fairly nerdish when it comes to that, but I, again, I do it for a reason. I'd say lately, um, like in the last year that I've read, you know, because I think all are good. I mean, you're going to usually, unless the book just really sucks, you're going to get a few pearls out of each one. And I mean, I really, I go into most books like, hey, if I can walk away with a few pearls, it was worth it. But I'd say if I really had to pick out just a couple from last year, number one is 10X, Grant Cardone. I'm actually going to his conference next uh, February in Vegas. And, but I like a lot of his stuff. And then Relentless. Um, it was probably the latest one that I read and I just loved. It's uh, by Tim Grover. He was a personal trainer for Michael Jordan, D. Wade, and uh, Kobe Bryant. So it's just, uh, I heard him speak at a conference and I was like, I got to get this dude's book. And it just, it rocked my face. So I loved it. He's actually the author of that video, Success is Not an Accident. Really? Yeah, he he was talking about Steph Curry at uh, Kobe Bryant's um, Skills Academy. That's huh. anyway. Great minds, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> and you mentioned in the course being the first person at the office, and that kind of maybe goes against the whole lifestyle practice philosophy. 
you know, where, you know, just maybe it, it doesn't, but it just seems like it would, you know? So can you talk about being the first person in the office and why you do that? Sure. I think you bring up a good point because just taking a step back for a second, the lifestyle philosophy, you know, I, I've had a few people approach me, you know, I think in air and, um, I take full responsibility is probably something I was giving off that was wrong. But when it comes to, you know, I think some people when they hear the lifestyle practice, they think in their mind, like, oh, this, it sounds pretty soft. It's all sunshine and rainbows. And this guy thinks he's going to teach me, you know, how to just kick back and um, swim in the money like Uncle Scrooge. But to me, it's, there is that component, but it definitely doesn't start off there. You know, I start off um, just like I I started off myself. My course, working with clients, and just the same way in my own life in the past, like it didn't happen overnight. I put in what I would consider talking and looking at many other dentists extraordinary amounts of effort and work and time that I think a lot of others aren't willing to. And there's nothing right or wrong about either one of us. But my thing is like, you can, you can hum along at a five to a seven, your whole career doing okay. Never fully just kicking butt, reaping the rewards, but never really having to be too uncomfortable or putting in too much work or going too much over the top. For me, I want to do that in the beginning. Like I wanted to do it early on in my career in my late twenties, early thirties and put in that extra time to be able to reap the rewards as I'm approaching more middle age. You know, I'm, I'm 38 now. I could, I'm in a place right now where I can choose to retire from hands-on dentistry at any point from now. And I wanted, and I busted my butt to be able to get there by this point. I didn't want to wait until later on in life. My kids were grown. I was nearing normal retirement age to be able to enjoy some of the things in life I wanted to do. But I was willing to put in the hard work in the beginning to get there. So all that to say, as you're right, as far as where I'm at right now, being the first person in in the morning is a little bit, I don't do that. I mean, in full disclosure anymore, for the most part, I'm not there. I'm not the first person in the office anymore. However, there were many years that I was not because necessarily like that was just Justin that, but that was because of the vision Justin had. And I think it is, I'll tell clients, you know, you know, if you want it bad enough, if you really want to increase production and then be the first person in the office, be that person, go above and beyond. And I tell them, get in. Get prepared, sit down at your desk when the place is empty, look at your schedule, look strategically for ways to increase production or look strategically for ways to improve the flow of the day or to increase a patient experience. Go through the notes of the personal, the personal notes of the patients that day. So when you walk in that room, you can say, hey, Mrs. Jones, how's that vacation at Disney um, since I saw you or whatever, you know, do the stuff that others won't so that in the future, tomorrow, you can do this stuff that others can't. And I think this is one of those things. I, I would also look at who has other treatment, who has treatment scheduled, but also has other treatment around there that's not on the schedule for that day. 
So get in, get prepared, then get out of your office and go over, discuss anything with your team for that day. You know, if you want to be a gunner, like, you know, be there to greet them. So coming in, hey, what's up? You ready for today? Again, it all goes back to increased production is intentional. And I'm always looking for ways. And yeah, let's say that's it in a nutshell. That's my feelings behind it. Yeah, I I think we're getting a, a glimpse today of those uh, motivational YouTube videos kind of spritzed in our discussion. I really like it. Um, just a funny side note, I guess. But I, again, I think that goes back to front loading the process, something that we talk about over and over again, just yep. going into it, putting the effort up front so you don't have to later. And the earlier you do that, the more benefit you get from it. Right. And talking about mornings, you know, it's just kind of a small question, but do you do morning huddles? Um, I don't. Honestly, morning huddles, like, I think that can be great. I personally, I just didn't like doing them. I think for a lot of people, they work very well. Um, you know, I'll suggest to some clients that they should do it. I just prefer it the way I do it and the way I did it. And that is to have a highly trained team that knows our mission. Um, and if I see something as I'm preparing in the morning, I'll just go to discuss it directly with them. But I'm not going to sit there every morning with them. I would rather them be trained. And again, this is just me personally. I would rather them get what we're doing in that office enough that I don't have to sit there every morning and say, okay, now make sure you do this with Mrs. So-and-so and make sure you say this to Mr. Blah, blah, blah. But again, I think for someone who's just starting out or just starting to take the proper leadership role in the office and just starting to work on getting their team engaged and really to go on a growth run, you know, I think it can be really good. You know, I think it holds you accountable, makes you do the things you need to do, but it just wasn't my favorite thing. And I know it's kind of a practice coaching or consulting blasphemy to uh, say you don't love morning huddles, but I'm not going to BS anybody. I kind of like what you said there at the end where you start with the huddles and then maybe as your team becomes more highly trained and as you've implemented some of the stuff, then you don't have to do it anymore. Right. And another thing I wanted to ask you about was um, kind of pricing. You know, you mm -hmm. talk about uh, in the course about liking to keep your prices high. Right. So can you talk about that? Why and what effect that has on your production? Yeah. Um, raising your fees, obviously, to me, is the easiest and lowest hanging fruit to raise productions collection in your office. And I think when I mentioned this to docs, you know, most of them are scared. Oh, my gosh. If I raise my fees, everyone's going to come in. Everyone's going to leave my office and go to the next guy who's the 10 percentile lower than I am. And But, I mean, the reality is people rarely, if ever, notice when you raise your fees. I mean, when when is the last time? Of course, probably not the right question to ask you yet. You know, but I would ask any of the doctors who are already practicing, when is the last time – Someone came to your office and be like, you know what? I chose you because your prices are in the 70th percentile and the guy across the street, he's in the 80th. Like, that's not reality. That that doesn't happen. We think it happens in our mind, but that's not real life. I always suggest raising your fees by 5% a year. You know, a few, a few years ago, I realized I hadn't done it in a while. I just got busy moving the practice or something. I realized it was like, spring and I was like I hadn't raised my prices this year I always try to do it at the beginning of the year just so I don't forget but so when I realized this I literally emailed my office manager that night and said tomorrow morning 
raise every fee by 10%. And guess how many complaints I got? Zero. Because people don't notice. You know, think about it. Has anyone thanked you if for doing a crown of, you know, let's say seven or $800 instead of a thousand or 1100 or 1200, whatever you charge? No, you know, I could tell a patient, Hey, I'm going to do this crown for 500 bucks or that's our cost for crowns when they ask. And they're still going to look at me and say, Oh my gosh, 500 bucks. I don't know if I can do that. So you got it to me. You just got to keep them high. And the, the reason is I would say, why wouldn't you, you know, if no one's really going to balk or know a big difference, you might as well get the most bang for your buck. You know, a patient, like I said, they think it's way too expensive, whether you're going to charge 500 or 1100. So, uh, another thing I also suggest making sure you renegotiate your PPO fees every two years. You know, I, I used, um, or I use unlock the PPO company to do my negotiating. We did that this year, but they just do a better job. They can help you set up your insurances. Obviously, if you you take a bunch of PPOs, they're not going to feel the impact is when you raise your fees. But I'm sure most offices, even if you're not a fee-for-service office, you have some fee-for-service patients. And it also looks good, you know, when you renegotiate PPO fees. And if you they say, hey, submit us your fee schedule, and they look at it and say, well, this is the same fee schedule they had two years ago. So I guess... Why do we need to increase our fees? Um, he's not increasing his or she's not increasing hers. So do it, do it consistently. And, you know, I, I get to talk, I get the privilege of talking to a lot of really successful dentists and none of them, you know, if you would ask them, give me some keys to your success, are going to say, I try to keep my prices in a lower percentile. You know, they're not dummies. They didn't get to be that successful for being stupid. So if they're doing it, I suggest you do it. So raise your fees. I think that's a great tidbit for our listeners to kind of hear. I agree with a lot of the misconceptions, like that they are actually misconceptions. And um, I do really like Unlock the PPO. I tried to get them on for season two with acquisitions, uh, but they don't really do acquisitions. They do existing offices and startups. So they're definitely a season three guest coming up. So that's something to look forward to for our audience. Actually, they just told me when I spoke to them that they just didn't like you guys. That's probably so, true too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they actually do do that. They just, you know, they didn't want to hurt your feelings. You know, and I think it's because Richard smells and, you know, over the interview though, but that's not an issue anymore. So maybe I should talk to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'd throw that out there. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Anyway, let's change gears a little bit. We talked about, um, you know, other ways to increase production, but I think the big one is treatment planning. And I know you feel that way. So let's just go ahead and talk about treatment planning. And I'll let you get started on that. And we'll see where it takes us. All right. Well, number one, you're never going to treat um, something you don't present. I personally, I believe in trying to present three times whatever your daily goal is for the office. Think about it. You know, if you only treatment plan what your daily goal is, you know, let's say your daily goal is 3000 for the doctor production. And you go in and every day you treatment plan 3000 you need a hundred percent direct conversion on every person to hit your goal. And it sounds that that sounds dicey to me because I mean, really, we all know that doesn't happen. And really this is one of, if not the biggest mistake I see doctors making is under treatment planning, either because they're scared or they're not seeing the dentistry right under their noses or 
other reasons that aren't coming to mind right now. But I would say, you know, when someone emails me and say, hey, my production's not good. I'm having trouble getting it up production wise. Uh, they're <laughs> just not they're just not treatment planning. So enough. And, you know, you may have to have conversations that you're a little uncomfortable with at first. As your treatment planning skills increase, it gets easier. You know, and I can promise you again. The most successful dentists out there, the most successful dental offices are not trying to minimize every treatment plan. They're not consistently treatment planning single tooth dentistry. They're not trying to treatment plan every tooth that needs a crown as a MOD, BL, F, Q. And they're not telling those patients that they're not telling patients that need they need one crown when they really need two or three or whatever, you know, because they're afraid what the patients will say or think, you know, don't, if you're really worried about that, then I would tell you to increase your skills, you know, don't tell them less, increase your skills. So you're better at telling them what they do have. I think a treatment planning, like the Wayne Gretzky quote, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. For me, what I'll tell clients is you have to have enough guts to care about your patients enough to tell them what they really need. And I get it. It takes consistent practice. It takes pushing yourself and getting out of your comfort zone a bit. The in dentistry or whatever business we'd be discussing, the most successful people are the ones who will do what the less, less successful won't. And dentistry's no exception to that rule. I really like that. And again, I, I think that's one of those misconceptions that, you know, it's an accurate statement that people may not be doing. And it's a great way to increase your production. Yep. So when you discuss elective treatments with patients, though, you know, mm -hmm. you go through maybe some questions in the course you like to ask them. Can you just run through some of that stuff that you cover? Yeah. So you have to talk about options to improve patient smiles when it's appropriate. Now, I don't want people to think every patient that comes to my office, I'm talking to them about veneers or redoing their smile or um, telling them they have to straighten every crooked tooth that they have. That's not me. But I also, I'm not afraid to, you know, if it makes sense. You know, if I have, I honestly, I had this conversation with um, a patient one time. She's a real pretty gal um, and she had been coming to me for a while. And, you know, we kind of developed a, a friendship over time and, you know, there was some trust built up. And I told her one time, I was like, you know what? You are really pretty, but your smile is, it's not doing you justice. And I, I wasn't necessarily trying to sell her anything. I was just being honest because if I'm not going to say that to her, then who is, you may be the only chance to really improve someone's looks because their grill is jacked up. The only person who could do that, that may give them more increased self-confidence because they're too nervous or afraid or embarrassed to ask themselves. But you know, dentists, doctors, they get afraid. You know, if I limp into an orthopedic surgeon's office and he doesn't tell me how I can prove that um, and improve my quality of life, I'm going to leave ticked. Quit assuming you know what's going on in a patient's head. Quit assuming you know they would never want to pay for that treatment or they would never want to do that. You know, it's not up to you to accept or not accept the treatment for them. It's up to you to tell them what's possible. So just... I'll just kind of run just a few of, few of the questions that uh, 
I think is covering the course. Um, you know, if I see someone's interested or they bring it up, you know, I'll ask them if you could change anything about your smile, what would it be? What do you not like? Actually, that is probably the next question. What is it you don't like about your smile? When does it bother you? Like I want them to feel like, man, every time I go on a date or every time I go into an interview or every time I have to meet with a client, that's when it bothers me. I ask them how long they've been thinking about this. Cause I also want them to feel the, the gravity of the situations. Like, you know what? This has bothered me since high school. Now I'm 35 years old. I'm 40 years older. My teeth started getting crooked after I had kids at 30 and now I'm 50 years old and I'm just sick of, I want them to kind of feel that how long has this been going on? Not only for my benefit. So I sell treatment, but honestly, because I believe if I can improve their smile, I know what it's going to do for the patient. I know that their self-confidence is going to increase. I know they're going to smile more and life is freaking short. So again, I don't put it on my back for them to accept it, but I put it on me to at least let them know what's out there. And then if they're interested, great, let's do it. If they're not, let's not do it. But I think most dentists don't are too afraid to even have that conversation. They might offend the patient. The patient will say, oh my gosh, you, you don't think my smile is great? I'm out of here. Or, you know, you're just trying to steal all my money. But just be real. For patients who have interior crowding, here's one I really like to use. Um, to just kind of as a icebreaker, I'll ask them, did you have ortho when you were younger? You know, as I'm going through my exam and I go from one to 16 down to 17 over to 32 as I'm crossing that front and just kind of using my mirror, my, my hands to just kind of look around. I'll, as I get to that point, I'll ask them, did you have ortho when you were younger? And it's not a scary question to ask. It's not an imposing question for them. And half the time they'll say, yeah, but I quit wearing my retainer and these teeth down here, I know keep getting more crooked. So that's a perfect, I mean, and it just plays out perfect because usually that's what they say. And I just let them know, well, just so you know, right now we can fix these teeth pretty easily. So if you're ever interested, just let one of us know. And then I move on. Now I'd say a portion of those people will either stop me and ask the next question or they will bring it up maybe at the next appointment because they've sitting there and thought about it. And now they're looking at those teeth every time they look in the mirror or I leave the room and they talk to my hygienist. How could you guys fix this? So again, it's all those little things that lead to me being more efficient and productive in my office. And it's nothing, nothing slimy, nothing slick, no used car salesman kind of tactics here. Cause I don't believe in those. I, I don't pressure. I just want to have the conversation with my patients that most doctors won't have, you know, if they're happy with their smile. Even if it's hideous to me, I don't care. I'm fine with that. Here's another thing, you know, that I see dentists doing, you know, when they're talking to the patients about, let's say their smile, for example, they start talking about the procedure. Oh yeah. You know, we'll get you numb. We'll, we'll shave these teeth on little pegs and we'll put a bunch of putty in your mouth. And then you'll walk around with these crazy looking temporaries. Obviously they, they don't make it sound that bad, but they start going into the details of the procedure. And I don't. That's not, if they ask, I will definitely tell them this is exactly what we're going to do. Um, and I will ask them, do you have any questions? But I want to, you know, if I see that they're interested, if I see they've given me an inch, I'm going to sell the dream. You know, I'm going to talk to them about how they would wish, they're going to wish they would have done this years ago or about how their self-confidence is going to increase and how it can be done in just two appointments in a couple hours probably. So, you know, when I take my car to the mechanic, I don't want them to tell me every freaking thing they're going to do under the hood. I, I wouldn't understand it anyway. I just want them, to, I just want to know my car's going to run better. 
because um, that's what's important to me. That's what improves my life. Same thing with Invisalign or ClearCorrect. I use ClearCorrect. I don't use Invisalign anymore. But I don't go into like all the details about the aligners and how we take the records. And I just let them know, like, hey, we give you a new tray to switch out every two months or two weeks. You put it in, bada boom, bada bing, six months, your teeth are straighter. Um, if they want more details, I'll give it to them. But I'm not going to mind blow them um, with all the stuff they don't really care about anyway. So as I'll wrap it up here, but you know, as your case acceptance increases, you're helping more patients get healthier, increase self-confidence, and feel better about themselves. Why wouldn't you want to do more of that? I think that's Peace. one <laughs> I think that's one thing, though, that really makes what we do easy in a way is a lot of what we do is in the patient's best interest anyway. It's not like right. we're selling them something that they shouldn't be getting, you know. So in that right. sense, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you offered a lot of value to our listeners in that little speech you went on. Thank you. So in the course, you talk about single tooth dentistry and you touched on it over there, but I want to talk about it a little bit more because it's something that I also am pretty big on is trying to, you know, do as many things at the same time. So you talk about over 65% of dentistry that's done is done one tooth at a time. So can you just talk about that a little bit and your philosophy on that? Mm -hmm. It's tough being really productive and efficient doing single tooth dentistry. You know, it takes me or my team just as much time and effort to set up for one filling as it does for four fillings or one crown versus three crowns. You know, every time you have to clean and change over a room, you're wasting valuable time when you could be producing. And the most successful practices out there are not um, routinely treatment planning or making appointments for single tooth dentistry. I mean, and don't get me wrong, you can't make up more, more treatment if all they need is one tooth and that's all you can do. But a lot of times that's not the case. If I'm doing a crown and I see a filling, you know, that needs to be done in the same area, I can knock it out in five minutes without using any more anesthetic, changing over a room, blocking more time on my schedule, cleaning instruments, and that may make my production per hour go up 200 bucks. You know, if I can just do 200 bucks um, for a filling that needs to be done anyway, that they're already numb for, that we're already set up for, they're already leaned back for, you know, that increases my production from 600 to 800 an hour, or 1,000 to 1,200, or 15 to 1,700. You know, if I see something like that, this is just kind of how I do it. Um, I'll take a quick picture with the camera that I've set right there, big on intraoral cameras. I think we already discussed. I'll show the patient. And I mean, this takes me 10, 15 seconds. I grab the camera, take a picture, pull it up. Hey, patient, you see this? Um, you know, if you want to, we got a cavity here. I'm going to put it down on the treatment plan list. Today's not a good day for us to knock it out. No worries. We can do it some other time. But if you want to knock it out while you're numb and you're here, we can do that for you. No pressure. So the key is, is that I actually have that conversation. I don't just ignore that feeling and just say, okay, mental note, next time they're in six months from now, I got to tell them we got this cavity that I noticed while they were here getting treatment done. Now, I want to note, I don't always feel like doing that. I may not feel like doing another crown or another filling or having that conversation with the patient. In fact, I'd say most of the time, there's other stuff I'd rather be doing. But that staying engaged 
is what keeps me, keeps my team performing at a higher level than most. And to me, that makes it worth it. I can relax 20 days of the month if I need to. But at the office, I'm all in all the time. I'm engaged every patient. So doing comprehensive or quadrant dentistry is like compounding interest to me. I get a lot more bang for my overhead time and buck if I can knock out more than one tooth at a time. I think you hit on a huge point there with overhead time. I think that's a big one that, you know, is just huge in terms of your costs and everything. But one thing that I want to talk about is I think everyone agrees with you that, you know, doing more things in one appointment is more profitable. But how do you stop doing single tooth dentistry? Well, this is it's going to blow your mind. But you quit presenting just single tooth dentistry. You make it a part of your culture every time. I'm presenting a treatment plan. I'm letting patients know, hey, we can knock out as many as these of these items in one visit as you would like. This will help you. You want to take less time off work. You don't have to come in five different times. You don't have to get numb five different times. I don't pressure them. I just let them know. And I offer it to them. And just by consistently doing that, um, just consistently letting them know, hey, I know we've got a few things here. Totally up to you. Zero pressure. I just want to let you know, if you want to, we can have all this knocked out in one or two appointments. So it's not a big deal. And just by consistently just subtly treatment planning it that way or mentioning that to them, we, over time, do more dentistry per appointment. And, you know, again, to me, it's always a long-term play. It took a little while for me to do that to really start to see a payoff. I mean, not forever. I'd say a couple months of when I consistently let patients know, hey, we can knock out all this in one appointment or a couple appointments, people started to see the value in just coming in, getting it done. And here's another thing I was I was thinking about as, and sometimes I just, I mean, there's things in our office I know that sometimes like it just, it has become second nature to me that I just don't think about some of the things that we do anymore. When your buddy, Jake Stemmel, who writes the notes for our shared practices, when he was in, um, he came into my office, as you know, but I know not everyone listening has a clue what I'm talking about. Jake just got accepted to SIU, uh, where I went to dental school, which is about 30, 40 minutes from my practice. I had met Jake before um, at a conference, total nerd. He was at a dental conference before he even got accepted to dental school. So when he hears this, I hope that gives him a smile. You know, he came in the office um, just to hang out, spend some time, because he's a gunner, and I love that about him. But he had mentioned, he emailed me later that day and just said, I really liked how you have trained your team to do the most of what their position allows, you know, whether it's hygienists or assistants. Like, I want them all to be doing as much work or procedures or whatever that they can do so that it just leaves me to go in and do the productive dentistry that only I can do. You know, if I'm doing, if I'm wasting my time doing things they could be doing, we're not going to be as efficient or productive. You've got to train your team to do everything that the law allows under their title in the office. And then that, in turn, frees you up to do much more of the productive stuff that only you can do. So I think that's a big, you know, a big component of being as as efficient as you can. With a practice like mine, you know, working 120 days a year. And like, if we're not efficient, we're not going to do, we're not going to hit our goals. Bottom line for me, it's, I'm not going to work more than that. 
that's not up for negotiation. And as much as I can help it, our production goals, our collection goals are not up for negotiation. So in between those, we've got to figure it out and do whatever we need to do, raise our level, raise our game in the office to to be able to hit those things. I think Jake, yeah, you know, Jake did go to your office and he told me about it later. And for those of you who don't know Jake, uh, he does do a lot of the writing, almost all of the writing, the show notes and everything. He's an awesome guy. Uh, I have a ton of respect for him. And uh, by now, he should have done an episode with Richard on the main on the main kind of season two. It's actually season one throwback. But either way, hopefully they know Jake. And one thing he told me when he went to your office was just how effortless it seemed. And I, I'm right. taking a tangent here, but it just it kind of blew my mind because I was telling you about it later. And, you know, it's not effortless, but when you have it to where it should be, it looks effortless. And that's something we talk about before on the customer service experience. But I just think, you know, to have somebody go to your office that I really respect and to see that and then to say it to me without even listening to that episode yet, it was pretty awesome to hear that. And it kind of, you know, what we're talking about is real stuff and it actually does work. And so I think that was a great validation right there. Yeah, I know we kind of talked about that and um, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it made me feel really good. Um, that he felt like that because as you know, I'll just throw it out there. Like, as you know, it wasn't on purpose. Um, he kind of let me know last minute he was coming in. We had like a $15,000 day. And during that day I had to leave at lunch to go sell eight rental properties that we were selling that day. So I had to leave work for an hour, which I usually don't do. But the fact that, you know, he left with the feeling that, that we never seemed hurried or, you know, like we were running around with chickens with our heads cut off, that he felt that relaxation, um, even though we were really busy, that it just, it didn't feel like that. And that made me feel really good because honestly, that's what I strive for. I mean, that is the culture I try to set up and it's, whether it's me or anybody else, you know, I don't, you know, I've still got things I can improve on. I still got a lot of things I can learn, but it, as you know, like in any profession, it it takes a lot of work to make it over the years and a lot of practice to make it look that effortless or in control, I guess. So it made me feel really good. It was one of my best. I was just really glad that he said that. It made me happy. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, again, he didn't listen to anything, but let's just move on. You know, I think, I think we've kind of hit that hit that in the ground pretty hard. You didn't learn a dang thing. (laughs) But um, let's go back to this concept of quadrant dentistry. And, you know, we talk about how to stop doing single tooth dentistry, but what if they just don't need quadrant dentistry? You look in their mouth, you can't see anything. You know, what do you do in that situation? You make it up. Just make up things to get the production up. You got to do what you got to (laughs) do. Kidding. No. Obviously, you can only treatment plan what they need. There's no way around that. You can never, obviously, everyone knows that. I mean, we don't even have to say it. Like, you can never make up stuff. I always tell, you know, people, like, I would sell, if I had trouble paying my bills, I would sell a kidney on eBay before I ever told a patient they needed something they didn't need. You know, but I I think there's different ways you can handle things. And maybe over time, as your game improves, turn the odds in your favor, because not every patient's going to need quadrant dentistry. Um, So here's an example. Let's say, a patient, um, you have a patient with a mouth filled with amalgams, and maybe they're not all horrible yet, 
but you know they're on their way out. You know, this person's probably 50 to 60 years old. They probably had a mouthful of fillings done in their 20s, and they're just starting to all get to that point. So unless, you know, a few teeth are just really bad, and we have to focus just on those teeth to avoid any acute issues going on, I'm not going to just go through and say, okay, we need to replace 2, 14, 18, and 31. You know, like, what a pain for everyone, including the patient. You know, I have to do it sometimes just because you got to do what you got to do. But as a whole, I hate those appointments where I have to numb up number two, number 14, number 18, like three different quadrants, and we're only doing three teeth. That makes me very inefficient. So in that circumstance, I'm probably going to say something to the effect of G-force. As you know, you've got a lot of old mercury fillings in your mouth. And I'm noticing some of them are getting to the point that they're really needing to be replaced. For instance, here's a picture of the one on your upper right. Now, this one is ready to be replaced right now. It's ready to go. But as you can see in this picture, as you know, you've got a few right next to it that look like they were done probably about the same time. If you want, I think we could just replace one at a time and have you back maybe six months from now or a year to do another one and then you know just continue that way. Or if you'd like, since we know they're all gonna need to be replaced pretty soon, while you're numb up here, we can just replace all three of them and then you don't have to come back three separate times and get numb all over again and go through this whole process over and over and over. So which do you think would be best for you? And again, I'm not going to pressure, but why not make it easy on the patient yourself? Like if I was that patient, if I was G-Force, um, I'd be thinking like, bro, just get it done. I don't want to be hanging out here anymore and I have to. I don't want to be coming back. I don't want to be getting numb over and over and over. Like if you know they're going to need to be done, then let's just get it done. Not everyone feels like that, obviously, but I stack the deck. I stack the odds in my favor about how I present, but yet I'm still doing it ethically and I'm just giving the patient options. You have to be intentional and strategic in the conversation. So I'm always upfront with all the treatment I see a patient needs. And I often tell them, again, we can complete it all in one or two appointments, but if it takes us a little while to work through it, you know, I just... I would rather be upfront, let them know everything I see as opposed to telling them a little bit each time so that they can plan appropriately for them. So I think that's a great way to go through it, you know, foreseeing future treatment that may be needed as a way to um, not only do quadrogenistry, but also make it more convenient on the patient. Right. And one thing we kind of talked about earlier with the Invisalign and the hygienist, mm -hmm. um, kind of talking to that patient. You talk a lot about the two-prong approach with right. treatment planning. And for audience, I'm sure I just say two-pronged approach. I don't really know what that means. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that and why you think it's important? Two-prong approach is, uh, yeah, I don't think it's one of those just standard, this is what that kind of means. Um, but Absolutely there's not. No, <laughs> and there's probably a reason for that. There's no doubt when you and your hygienist are on the same page, and they have already discussed with the patient what's going on and what I'm, uh, being the doctor, am most likely going to come in and suggest your case acceptance is going to increase, period. It's just, it's going to happen. 
I give my hygienist a lot of leeway in talking with patients. I've worked with them to know what to look for and how to talk to patients and how to determine if I'm going to suggest a filling or a crown. I want most of the treatment. I'm going to come in and treatment plan already presented to some extent. Now I'm not going to nail it perfect every time they may miss something just like I may miss something that they caught. Um, but as a general rule, I want them talking to patients about almost everything I'm going to come in and talk about. Then when a patient has heard it twice now from people who they hopefully trust, it really starts to sink in and you're, case acceptance goes up. And I think not only does your case acceptance goes up, but it goes up because they either believe it, they've seen it, they trust it, um, they've heard it, whatever it is. That's what makes them want to accept. And so I think it's just good business. You know, it takes a little work to really develop that two-pronged approach so you're both on the same page. Um, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but as you guys know from talking in these past interviews, I will, or I have, I've sat down and looked at a lot of treatment with my hygienist and said, okay, patient presents with this. What are we going to say? And at first I don't just, you know, I may, I will do that, you know, just to make this totally real life. I will do that after they've heard me talking to patients about it for a while, or I would, if they're new, I would tell them, okay, this is what I would say to this patient. Let's look at another picture. This is how I would present this. Let's look at another picture. This is how I, I don't just bring them and say, okay, here's a picture. Tell me what you'd say and expect them to nail it. I don't, it's not going to happen. They may be okay, but I want to train them. I want to be intentional with them. And I do that to make my life easier. I do that to make more money. I do that to have more freedom in my life. I'm, I don't do that just because I'm, I'm bored and I love doing it or that I have nothing else to do or that I'm just an extreme dental nerd. I do that because honestly, for my own benefit, or my family's benefit, like I do that so I can spend more time doing the things I love with the people I love. And it comes all the way back to having that boring mundane conversation with your hygienist when you'd rather be doing something else, but it pays off. And if you do it right in the beginning, you can have many, many years of not having to do that and reaping the rewards. Yeah, I think co-diagnosis can be huge. And, um, you know, I think... Yeah, I should have just it. said that. I should have just said that. Yeah, co-diagnosis can be huge, you know. Yeah, rant, and then drop rant, the mic. Not needed, yeah. Yeah, that would have just saved us like 15 minutes. So I think we covered most of what I had to talk about. I just wanted to talk about one more thing before we wrapped up. Um, okay. I'm a big CAD CAM guy. Um, just cause my school has it and I use it and I plan on using it. Um, I know you use Cyric. So right. can you talk about, I don't know, the effect that that may have on your production? Yeah. People will ask me, does Cyric help your production? And it, it's a tough question. I will tell them yes and no. No, because if I didn't have a Cyric, I wouldn't let that keep me from hitting my goals. You know, I'm not going to say, oh man, I don't have a Cyric, so... Now I can only do this a month as opposed to this. But besides just personally liking it, I'll tell you tell you some of the reasons why I like it. You know, if if you get a Cerec just for the cost savings, which I think is a lot of how uh, Cerec salespeople present it. 
Um, you know, cause when I was looking at them, they always went on about how it's going to save me money because my lab bills will go down and it's just totally the wrong angle to come at it from, in my opinion. Yes. My lab costs go down, but I have a Sarek payment. I have to buy blocks. I have to pay for Sarek support to pay for oil for the machines I have to pay for burrs. I have to pay for blah, 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 all down the line. So to me, cost is a wash, no huge gain there. But where I come out ahead is that it makes selling dentistry easier on me. And I always want to make things easier on me. It's an easier sell when I say I can get everything done in one appointment. No impression, no temporaries, no coming in twice, no getting numb twice. It's just less obtrusive on a patient's life. I use it in my marketing material to get patients in. And I get patients who have come to me just because I can get crowns done in one day. So it helps me in those regards. But like I said, if I didn't have a CEREC, I'm not going to use it as an excuse to why I'm not hitting my numbers. That's a sissy's way out. And sissy's not the, the word I wanted to use. So it increases <laughs> my patient satisfaction. And when my patients are more satisfied, they get more work done. They review more. They refer more patients to me, all of which increase my numbers. It's just a vicious Sarek cycle, if you will. I like good that. Things. A vicious Sarek cycle. You know, it's yeah. funny. Um, I've I've had your same viewpoint on CAD CAM for a long time. Um, I heard, you know, I heard something about Pacific Dental putting it in all their offices because they do more crowns. Their case acceptance on crowns is higher because yep. of the CAD CAM system. And yep. um, I, I, I took that to one of my uh, instructors who's kind of like the head CAD CAM guy at my school. And I told him, you know, that they're marketing it wrong. Cost savings isn't a big deal. It's more about doing more crowns, which is your most productive procedure for most. Right. Um, and he kind of looked at me and he's like, you know, dentists by nature are business people. And so for them, they like to see um, cost savings. And I'm like, that's just such a, gosh. You know, you know. He's right. That is why he's teaching CAD CAM at your school. <laughs> because he's, because he's, uh, I mean, he's pretty much the next Rockefeller, I would guess. I would guess. I'm not yeah. trying to pigeonhole, but I'm just guessing. That's all the dentists at my dental school were. I mean, they were just, I mean, you couldn't hold them down. <laughs> They're driving Lambos, <laughs> driving Ferraris up to the parking lots. It was just embarrassing. Yeah, it, it, it was funny. You know, luckily, I don't think he'll ever be listening to this or remember that conversation, so I think I'm good. Um, but <laughs> as we wrap up, I just, um, you know, I want to emphasize again that we've only scratched the purpose or the surface of Actually, this is one of the topics that we cover in the course so much. And, um, you know, I think maybe we covered a third of the material. Would you agree with that? If that, I'd probably say. So, you know, there's a long list of specifics that we didn't have time to talk about. As you see, this is a longer episode. And, you know, but we'll, we can do that another time. And Justin does that a lot with his clients. So, you know, there are resources to get that done. But I think what we covered in this episode was fantastic. And I hope you agree. Uh, you know, I think this mini series is really uh, superseding my expectations so far, and I'm really excited for what's to come. And I hope you guys are really enjoying it. Anything to close with, J Shot? Um, no.